Blog Talk Radio. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Green Magic, Green Medicine with your hostess, Ms. Susan Weed. We seem to be having technical difficulties with uploading the little sound plugs we do to begin the show. So I want to remind everybody that this show is a half-hour class, basically, on herbal medicine. Herbal medicine is people's medicine. And we do the show every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And right now, we're going to see if we can get the song Blessed Are We to play by Kellyanna. Okay. Well, my name is Daniel Michael. I'm the founder co-creator of the Main Street Universe Radio Network. And the songs and plugs appear to not be working this evening. Sometimes that happens, so we shall move on. Again, the show is Green Magic, Green Medicine. It's on at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, and your host is Miss Susan Weed. We've been discussing the 13 sacred trees of the Celtic tradition, ash, hawthorn, and others, and the healing quality of those trees, or of each of those individual trees. Of course, some of you know of the whole oak, ash, and thorn thing being the places, the three sacred trees, where if they're near each other in almost a circle, then it's considered that the fae or the fairies will be in that area. Almost like you've probably heard of the the mushroom rings or what some people call a fairy ring or a fae ring. One of the interesting aspects, I thought, oh, and there Susan is now. I'm going to go ahead and bring her on. Well, welcome, Susan Weed. How are you? Just fine. Actually, I've been here the whole time. Uh, we have been having some technical in so I gathered. I said, oh, dear, this system <laughs> isn't telling him I'm there. Oh, gosh, and you just popped up, too. And I'm like the song, the first song I pressed, it's still twirling around. It's like a button. Not twirling around. around, not doing a thing. Oi, 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 oi. <laughs> oh, gosh, is it a... Is it a uh, one, of those or days. one of those days where you might get a headache. Could be. And many people, if they have a headache, would reach for aspirin, wouldn't they? Yes. And if you're a chemist, then you know aspirin under the name acetosalicylic acid. It's quite a mouthful, isn't it? It is. Acetosalicylic acid. Now, salix 
the botanical name of willow. And if anyone has ever told you that aspirin is made from willow bark, I am here to say that person really knew what they were talking about because it's true. Aspirin was made from, well, maybe not specifically willow, but close enough. Okay. Close enough because the salicin in willow, salix, and other plants was the source material for the original drug. Now, the, for some reason, willow wasn't thought to, to be able to be commercially useful. So they actually extracted the salicin from a related plant, the spirea plant. Spirea is in the rose family. And it's sometimes called bridal veil. It's a very pretty shrub with lots of mounds of tiny little white flowers. And ah means from. So the compound that they made from spirea was ah spirin. Uh. Aspirin. I've heard they make it out of something else now, and that it's not as from those natural extractions. That's just something. That's something. I, I remember years ago, an old guy told me it came from willow bark, and I was like, "Oh, okay." Uh, exactly. And I've heard they, there's there's actually quite a few plants that contain uh, salicins or um, varieties of salicin. Um, the compounds that we find are named for the first plant we find them in. So this compound was first found in willow, the salicin. And acetic acid is what? Do you know? Many people do. Some people don't. Acetic, acetic acid is vinegar. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah. you take one of these plants like spirea or willow or wintergreen, Galtheria procumbens, which is a great source of salicins, and soak them in vinegar, then you have salicin and acetic acid, and the compound that's made is acetosalicylic acid. And that's aspirin. So in this case, when we make our herbal remedy, we are actually making, as this old codger told you, we are actually making aspirin. Not something that works like aspirin, but actually making aspirin. Mm. So willow, you may have already guessed, is the fifth tree. We're talking about the Ogum system, which was a system, some people say a system of writing, but in a more expanded view, it was a system of notation. 
And many things could be denoted by the ogham. They were knitting patterns. They were tied tables. They conveyed a lot of information depending on the context that they were used in, and they were associated with weather patterns, with colors, with birds, with animals, and, of course, with plants and trees. So the cycle that we're looking at is a a European Celtic um, tradition of associating the letters, we might call them, of the ogham, with Mm -hmm. particular trees and also seeing that in a larger cycle because the 13 moon cycle is a year cycle, that classic year and a day cycle, which is the time it takes the earth to go around the, the sun. So we started with the birch and the conception at the first new moon after the winter solstice. And we went from that into the protection of the pregnancy with the mountain ash, the rowan, the far-seeing tree. And then we came to the tree of birth, to the ash tree, to the relationship of the mother to the child. And then last week we talked about the alder, the tree that bleeds when it's cut. And we talked about that um, symbolizing menstruation and symbolizing the woman's return to fertility. And so the alder is also considered the tree of the lovers. And I wanted to remind us of that here as we sit on the eve of a lover's holiday. How wonderful that we live in a culture that celebrates love and lovers every year. Mm-hmm. And then on to the fifth tree, which is the tree of death. Because that's what follows, isn't it? We've had conception, we've had pregnancy, we've had birth, we've had the relationship between the mother and the child, we've had the relationship between the mother and the father. What's left but death? It is said that the willow tree loves the goddess so much that she rises up out of the mother earth, stretches her branches up to heaven as do all trees, and then falls back down to the earth again to give her love to the earth a second time. And of course, there are many kinds of willows. The weeping willow is what I am describing here in this great circularity. These enormous, great, huge trunks of the willows when they are growing in a wet area and how as they grow, first they stretch up and then then it's almost as though they begin to bow over. And those of you listening who are at all into like early American graves and graveyards are familiar with the image of the willow. Because the willow is the primary symbol used on grave markers throughout the colonial period and on even after that in American graves. 
So it's not just in the Celtic Ogham that the willow is the tree of death, but of course it's a tree of death and rebirth again. I once lived on a lake where there were enormous willow trees. We once had a group of five of us with our standing fingertip to fingertip, and we could not go around the largest of these willow trees. This is a really, really big uh, willow tree. Mm-hmm. And several things remain in my mind and my heart about these willow trees because they were such a, a strong feature of living right there on the lake. <clears throat> and one was that one day we were visited, speaking of old gents, by an old gent who drove up, got out of his car, <clears throat> and came knocking at our door and said he wanted to see the willow trees that he had planted as a boy. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And he wasn't, okay, he was an old gentleman. He wasn't like 120, you know. He was probably in his 70s. Right. And, and, And that's exactly what we said. We said, what? What? How? He said, yeah. He said, this this was really bare here. You know, this was, when I was a boy, they had just dammed up this river to make this lake. And actually, it was called a pond, Shagbark Pond, that I lived on. And uh, it was a dammed up river, which made skating in the wintertime always really kind of like, ooh, you know, because if you stay, skated too far back on the pond, you got into where the river river was going and the water was live and you fell through. Right. Right. So he said, yeah. He says, I was here, you know, when they flooded this up and made this pond, he said, and, you know, they'd kind of killed all the vegetation, you know, that where it flooded there. And he said it was really bare. So I just got some willow shoots and I stuck them in the ground long around here. And I wanted to see how they were doing. And I think even he was surprised when we took him out behind the house to the pond and showed him how enormous those willow trees had gotten because, of course, he put them right there at the edge of the water. We kept goats. I still keep dairy goats, and we kept goats. It was the first place that I ever kept goats was there at Shagbark Pond. So our fenced-in area, I don't fence in the goats anymore. I heard them now, but at that point, we fenced in the goats. And it was fairly easy to do because, of course, we didn't have to fence the pond side. So we just had to fence kind of an area around, right, and touching into the pond, and then the goats weren't going to swim around and get around the side of the fence. So it was a fairly easy area to fence. But one of the things that we did was we took buckets of water out to the goats every day. And you're thinking, wait a second, excuse me, didn't she just say that the goats had access to the pond? Why are they taking water to them? Well, this was because we had read in not one but several books about goats that goats had an almost pathological fear of getting wet. Hmm. Now, I will tell you that this is at least partly true. The goats are really great harbingers of weather. They tell us when it's going to rain because they will know five or ten minutes before it's going to rain and they will head for home. They truly don't like to get wet. So here we were hauling buckets of water out every day to our herd of goats. And then spring came and the willows started leafing out. And I looked out and there was one of our goats in the pond 
put the water all the way up to her belly, eating fresh willow leaves. <laughs> and I said, the end of the bucket brigade, girls, if you all can get wet in pursuit of willow, you can get wet in pursuit of your thirst. <laughs> now, those willow trees <clears throat> were so big that they were actually coming to the end of their lifespan. And the area that I live in here in the Hudson River Valley, when there are <clears throat> hurricanes, we can get hurricaned pretty bad. And we had a hurricane that went through here, and it tore some of those willows asunder. It split them. It broke off huge branches of them. It was quite the mess out there with all of that willow. And we hired somebody to come in with a chainsaw and cut the willow up. And we thought, well, that's going to be, a, you know, a great amount of our firewood for the winter. The thing was that we couldn't <clears throat> really find much information about willow as fuel or as a firewood. I didn't mention when we were talking about ash a couple of weeks ago that ash is considered the king's wood. Ash is one of the few woods that gives off the same amount of BTUs, British Thermal Units, in other words, gives off the same amount of heat, whether it is green or whether it is dry and seasoned. Most woods are not like that. Most woods you have to cut down and let them dry in season, often for as much as a year before it really makes good firewood. So we said to ourselves, well, you know, we'll just get this sawyer to saw up these willow trees. <clears throat> and we'll, you know, we'll split them and we'll just stack up this wood and we'll let it season because we're not finding too much information about it. Well, by the summertime, it looked like it had, you know, gotten some season on it and look, looking pretty good. And because it had come down in the fall and went all through the winter and the spring, and then we're back to, to summer again, so it's almost been out there a year. And we said, why don't we, before we put it in our wood stove, why don't we make a fire outside with some willow? Well, I'll tell you, we were really, really happy that we had elected to do that because the stench of that burning willow was one of the worst smells I have ever smelled in my life, possibly even up there with the evening that I experimented with whether or not skunk cabbage was fit to eat. <laughs> the answer is no, it's not. Ewell Gibbons aside, I have in front of me a book that I really like a lot called Myths of the Sacred Tree by Moira Caldecott, and she has gone all over the world looking at myths about trees. And this is a short myth from Japan. Haitaro loved the willow tree that grew close to his little hut. As the world judged riches, Hitaro had none. But the tree was treasure and temple and company enough for him. And each new season of the year, the willow tree seemed more beautiful than the season before. When the wind blew through the willow branches, no music was finer. 
One day, the villagers came to Hitaro's hut. They came with their choppers. We need the wood, they said. We are going to build a bridge. We are going to cut down this willow tree. It will make the bridge for us. No, no, Hitaro protested. We... Don't cut down the willow tree. I'll find some wood for you. Don't don't touch the willow. I will get you some wood for your bridge. Hataro <clears throat> went across the land, and he came back to them with wood, took the wood for their bridge, and they left the willow tree unharmed. That night, as the moonlight shimmered on the willow leaves, Hitaro stood beneath the willow branches and gave thanks to the spirits that the tree had been spared. Something moved? Was it a sliver of moonlight? Hitaro peered into the shadows, and there stood a beautiful young woman. He bowed to her and apologized for disturbing her and backed away, believing that she must be under the willow waiting for her lover. She watched him go. The next night, Hytero was by the willow again, and as the moon played across the willow leaves again, Hytero saw movement, and there was the beautiful young woman. Again, he bowed to her and apologized for disturbing her. But it was his willow tree and his company, and so he went back a third night and waited. Later that night, until at last the moon shone silver on the leaves of the willow as they fluttered in the wind. And yes, there, there deep in the shadows, he saw he saw the movement and he, he bowed. And then he realized, he realized that this beautiful maiden was waiting for someone, was waiting for her lover, and that that someone that lover was to be himself. And so he reached out his hand to her, and she took his hand, and they were married, and they lived very happily together. And of course, a child was born to them. Each night, they went together, and they prayed in the temple that the willow tree made with its low-hanging branches and its fluttering leaves. And then, one day, the emperor, Toba, ordered that a temple should be built to Kwanan, the goddess of mercy. We now call her Kuan Yin. A new temple to Kwanan needed to be built in the district And once again, the villagers came and demanded to be allowed to chop down the willow tree. Again, Hitaro argued with them and said that willow was not 
not the best wood to use for this, but they would not be turned aside. Hitaro felt sad. His heart felt heavy. But he thought to himself, I have such happiness with my beautiful wife and such happiness with my child that I will be able to endure this loss. This willow tree means so much to me. And it will be with great sadness that I see them chop it down, but I have my happiness. And so the villagers began to cut the willow tree. They began to chop the willow tree. And the willow wife cried out, Husband, husband, the room is growing dark. And she fell to the ground and she covered her face with her hands. And Hitaro saw her limbs twisting and turning as though they were trying to avoid blows. And he could do nothing to help her. He cried out. She cried out. He and his daughter watched as the willow wife lay on the ground, dying. And when the last blow on the tree was struck and the tree came crashing to the ground, the willow wife was dead and Hitaro was left alone. This book is by Moira Caldecott. She says... This is based on a Japanese folktale, which I read in Menrod Craighead's The Sign of the Tree. The story was retold by Ayanaka Mitsuyo. And then she continues, I hardly like to sully this simple and exquisite tale with a comment. The profound love of the man for the tree and the love of the tree for the man speaks for itself. The bridge is a practical earthly object and the villagers are convinced that other wood will do. But the temple, ordered by the emperor, they simply must have his tree. But (coughs) how can a temple that is built, ever be as holy as a tree. The goddess who lives within us is destroyed in this story in order to build a temple in which a statue of the goddess. Is it not the spirit of the tree that is the true goddess and lives only while the tree lives? If we kill the tree, we kill the goddess. A temple is no substitute for the living goddess who lives within the living tree and your own living love for the trees. I like it. And it makes me think it was more for the emperor than for the goddess. (laughs) It was that temple. (laughs) Isn't it so? Indeed. Eh? We will come back to Moira Caldecott's book, The Myths of the Sacred Tree, as we continue in our cycle through the trees of the 
13 moons. And I want to thank everybody for being with us tonight and remind them that you have a link right there that will whisk them right to my Wise Woman Bookshop. And there they will find my new schedule for the year. I am flying all over the place this year. I have been asked to teach here, there, and the other place. And silly fool that I am, I have said yes to almost everybody. So I will be very much out and about this year. Okay. And you can find my schedule there at thewisewomanbookshop.com, as well as all of my wonderful books. And no, I don't have a book about the trees of the 13 moons. This is a class that I do, and it is one of my favorite classes. And if you want to come out, I'll be doing it this summer here at the Wise Woman Center. I always do a class. Um, I, for many years, I called it the trees of the 13 moons. And nowadays, I call it a day with the trees. And I like that because it uh, frees us up. I don't feel pressured to have to talk about 13 trees in the, the few hours of the class, but we can go out and we can see which trees call to us, sit with them, meditate with them, talk about them, talk about the magic, the mystery, the medicine, and all of the lore that is so richly there when it comes to the trees and the people. All right, and I like that too as well. It kind of just Let's it be experiential versus putting something on it, you know. Yeah. So next week we will talk more about Willow. We certainly have not exhausted Willow. As a matter of fact, we've just barely scratched the surface of Willow. So much more to say. And the Willow wand is used for the novice. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll talk to you then. All right. I wanted to talk to you. Uh then, excuse me, sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, we will talk about that and continue this series on willow. It reminds me of Bruce Lee used to talk about the willow and say it was the mightiest of all trees because the trees with the stiff branches, if the snow collects on them, the branches break. But the willow in the spring will snap back into life and having its flexible branches, strength and flexibility, basically. <laughs> exactly. And, Those, of course who are old enough to have been spanked with a willow wand do not appreciate that flexibility. <laughs> All right, Susan, and thank you again for joining us. You're welcome. Till next week, then. Green blessings. And remember that herbal medicine is people's medicine. All right. Green blessings. And I want to say hi to my niece, Moira, who might be listening. I think she's about 13 now. So, yes, we do have a Moira in our family. <laughs> Hello. Oh, how absolutely perfect. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, you've been listening to Green Magic, Green Medicine. Our closing songs, I don't know if they work tonight, but have a great evening, everyone. And if they do work, they do. And if not, not. And we'll see you all next week, continuing the 13 Sacred Trees, Green Magic, Green Medicine, with your host, Ms. Susan Weed. And thanks again, Susan. You're welcome. Green blessings. All right. There we go. Yay, music. Forbidden archaeology. Forgotten history divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network.
hidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. <laughs> 